Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A key source for the anti-Trump Steele dossier was acquitted today on all counts by jurors in Virginia. Is America's military strength on the decline? A new report says it is and it also rates each of the military branches. As we come closer to the midterm elections, candidates are battling over tough issues. Where were the latest debates and which races are being closely watched? Florida officials are being accused of politicizing the voting process ahead of the midterms. We spoke with Florida's Secretary of State about his take on the allegations. President Biden announcing what his first move will be if Democrats retain control of Congress. But how likely is that as things stand just 21 days before the midterms? The trial comes to a close for a key source for the anti-Trump Steele dossier. He was acquitted on all counts today by jurors in Virginia. Igor Danchenko, a Russian national, was acquitted on four counts of lying to the government after about 10 hours of deliberations. Danchenko was the primary source for the dossier compiled by ex-British spy Christopher Steele. The dossier included numerous now-refuted claims about former President Trump and was partially paid for by Democrats, including Hillary Clinton. Special counsel John Durham prosecuted the case. Danchenko was charged in November 2021 with five counts of lying to FBI agents during interviews about the dossier. One count related to Danchenko claiming he had not talked with Charles Dolan, a longtime Clinton associate, about any information that was included in the dossier. That charge was thrown out because the communication happened by email. The other four counts related to Sergey Millian, a pro-Trump businessman. Danchenko told the FBI he thought he spoke to Millian over the phone in July 2016 and was planning to meet him in New York, but he provided no evidence in support of the claims. FBI agents testified that there was no record of a call between any numbers associated with the two and no mention of a call or plans to meet in a later email. The jury found Danchenko not guilty of lying about the call and plans. And is the American military's world dominance drawing to a close? According to a new report, U.S. military strength has now been downgraded and may be unable to meet the demands of a major war. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. There is no way, as our scholars report, as you will hear today, that the United States can engage in a two-front war. And in fact, we're increasingly dubious that we could even engage in a single-front war because of this lack of readiness. The Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank, released its index of U.S. military strength for 2023. The overall rating for America's military is weak in terms of its ability to defend America's vital national interests. The annual report is based on an array of publicly available information, such as military budget documents and congressional testimony. Heritage Foundation President Kevin Roberts added this. And we're having a very hard time, as some of our scholars have reported, in recruitment because of the woke agenda that one particular political movement in this country prioritizes over American military readiness. Congressman Mike Gallagher said this should not deter men and women from serving in America's military, as he says things can be changed if Republicans take back Congress. 
The report lists the Marine Corps as strong due to its efforts to modernize and enhance its readiness. The Army is listed as marginal, as it only has 62% of the force it should have, while its readiness remains very strong. The report lists the Navy as weak, as it remains about 100 ships short of what is expected. And the Air Force is listed as very weak because of issues recruiting and training pilots, and it would have difficulty responding quickly to a crisis. I believe we do face an existential threat from the Chinese Communist Party. And so we're going to need everybody, those that choose to serve, those that choose to go to the private sector. We need everybody to get on Team America because we're not destined necessarily to win this competition. We have to work hard not only to prevent World War III, but win the long-term competition. So please don't lose faith in the basic goodness of this country. It may not be perfect. But it happens to be the best experiment in self-government in human history. So let us not screw it up. Let us not be the generation that screws the whole thing up. The Heritage Report can be found at heritage.org military. Jason Perry, NTD News. With just three weeks before the midterm elections, candidates are turning up the heat. NTD's Arlene Richards brings you news of some of the latest debates and races to watch. One important race in this year's midterm election is the U.S. Senate. In Ohio, Democratic candidate Tim Ryan and Republican J.D. Vance clashed on Monday night. Ryan voted for the Inflation Reduction Act. It's been brutal, and I understand that. And that's why I've been calling for a tax cut in the short term uh, to put money in people's pockets. Vance attacked Ryan's record in response. I think a tax cut's a great idea, but when you propose it, Tim, it is a gimmick because in your time in Congress, you voted to raise taxes $6.7 trillion, 113 times. On abortion, Ryan plans to fight a national abortion ban, while Vance thinks aborting a baby after 15 weeks is uncivilized. Heading into November, polls show Vance holding a razor-thin lead. Meanwhile, over in Georgia, gubernatorial candidates battled over similar issues. Incumbent GOP Governor Brian Kemp is in a rematch with Democratic nominee Stacey Abrams. Kemp said he won't change his mind on abortion, which is illegal in Georgia after six weeks. A second debate is planned for October 30th. And in Georgia, voters don't have to wait until November. On Monday, the first day of early voting began for the midterm elections. I expect to be early election. More than 4 million Georgians could vote, and over 200,000 people have requested mail-in ballots already. Over in Arizona, another gubernatorial race takes center stage. Republican nominee Carrie Lake has been labeled by some as a Trump extremist and election denier. Monday night, Lake addressed the importance of morality. You want to elect people into office who have a moral compass, who know right from wrong. I think Ronald Reagan was a great example of that. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is being accused of politicizing voter access in areas most affected by Hurricane Ian. Our reporter spoke with Florida Secretary of State Cord Byrd, who responded to the allegations. Last week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced that he's expanding voting access in three counties most affected by Hurricane Ian. They're also going to have additional days for early voting, so people could vote the Sunday and Monday before, the right until Tuesday of the election day. 
Voters from those counties who were displaced because of the hurricane can also have their absentee ballots sent to an alternate address. Various media outlets reported that the three counties in question are overwhelmingly Republican, as opposed to other affected counties, which are mostly Democrat but weren't granted any exceptions. Florida Secretary of State Cord Byrd tells NTD that besides the three counties in question, many other counties also notified the state in writing of the hurricane's impact. It was three of the counties, Charlotte, Sarasota, and um, Lee County, that asked for specific relief. Uh, they put those requests in writing, and we, we honored their requests. Um, and we have in writing from many of the other counties uh, that had some hurricane impact, but felt that they were able to conduct election administration without any specific relief. More people have moved to Florida in recent years, and the Sunshine State even gained a congressional seat since the last midterm elections. The New York Post reported that in the month of August, more New Yorkers moved from the Empire State to Florida than in any month before. Byrd says this shows that people are voting not only in booths, but also with their feet. And I think people are, are voting with their feet loud and clear, and they're voting two places uh, like Florida, where we have um, you know, the opportunity for people to, to live their dreams, open business, for their kids to go to school in person, um, to, to not be shackled with, uh, with government mandates. Data from the Census Bureau shows that seven states lost congressional seats, and five of them went to Joe Biden in the 2020 election. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. President Biden announces what his first move will be if Democrats hold on to majorities in the House and Senate. But that's a big if, as concerns over the economy keep growing. NTD's Iris Tao has more. And when Congress passes it, I'll sign it in January, 50 years after Roe was first decided the law of the land. That's President Biden announcing today that the first thing he'll do if Democrats retain control of Congress will be to codify Roe versus Wade. Let's take a listen. And together we'll restore the right to choose for every woman in every state in America. So vote. You got to get out the vote. We can do this if we vote. And Biden also vows to veto any federal abortion ban by Republicans. And that's as he also touches on gun control. And by the way, if you give me a Democratic Congress, we're going to ban assault weapons again. All these promises, meanwhile, rely on the premise that Democrats win in the upcoming elections. But recent polls have shown Republicans gaining an edge as the economy becomes the top focus. A New York Times and Siena College poll released on Monday shows that more than 40 percent of potential voters put economy and inflation as their top concerns, while only about 5 percent say they're more worried about abortion. Republicans, meanwhile, are highlighting economic policies in their campaigns. Here are two candidates speaking in Monday night debates. While people can't afford the cost of groceries, they're not actually paying attention to the concerns of everyday voters in this state who are getting crushed by the policies that you supported. My desire is to continue to help them fight through 40-year high inflation and high gas prices and other things that our Georgia families are facing right now, quite honestly, because of bad policies in Washington, D.C. And some journalists were questioning on Twitter about why Biden chooses to focus on abortion while the economy is apparently a bigger issue. And the White House chief of staff responded, saying it's not an either or and that Biden will be talking about gas prices on Wednesday. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Boston University researchers have developed a strain of COVID-19 that killed 80% of mice infected with it. 
The research has prompted concern and condemnation. NTD's Daniel Monahan has that story. Researchers at Boston University extracted the Omicron spike protein. They then attached it to the original Wuhan COVID-19 variant, dubbing it Omicron S. While Omicron causes mild non-fatal infection in mice, Omicron S causes severe disease with a mortality rate of 80%. The researchers say that mice and human immune systems differ greatly and that if the Omicron S hybrid infected humans, it would unlikely be as deadly. However, they found that the new strain was five times more infectious than Omicron when they infected human cells with it. The study's publication drew online condemnation and concern. Infectious disease expert Dr. Paul Hunter says he's concerned about what laboratories are capable of producing. He wonders what they're using the labs for. If they're for diagnostic purposes, then he says they play an important role. However, in his words, if they start having a dual purpose for research that has offensive military implications, that is distressing. Some U.S. intelligence officials said in 2021 they believe COVID-19 either was created inside a lab or had escaped from a facility. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And Boston University issued a lengthy statement today defending its research, saying critics have misrepresented the goals of the study. The university refuted allegations that the study involved gain-of-function research, which can make a pathogen more deadly or transmissible. A university official also told the Daily Mail that parts of the study were taken out of context in news reports. And coming up, how can the U.S. move away from China's stranglehold on critical minerals? We hear from a former U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary for Energy Efficiency on the heels of a big move announced from General Motors. And a female Iranian rock climber who violated her country's strict public dress code on Sunday was reported missing the following day. NTD's Dave Martin has the latest. That and more coming up. General Motors says it's planning to invest up to $69 million in an Australian company to secure a new source of minerals, minerals for which the world has come to rely on China and the Chinese Communist Party. Earlier today, I spoke with Senior Program Director at ClearPath, Alex Fitzsimmons. He's also a former Deputy Assistant Secretary for Energy Efficiency in the U.S. Department of Energy. Alex Fitzsimmons, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. And thank you for having me. Now, General Motors plans to source millions of dollars worth of critical minerals for its electric cars from Australia. It comes as America is reducing its reliance on China for these minerals. What's your take on the deal? Well, that's a great question. Look, I think it's important to recognize that we use a lot of critical minerals. I mean, they are in everything from our smartphones to our vehicle batteries, uh, to grid scale energy storage, to a variety of military applications as well. I mean, everything from night vision goggles to body armor to jet engines, critical minerals are uh, ubiquitous in modern life. And so, unfortunately, the United States does not currently produce much uh, of these minerals at all. And unfortunately, most of the supply chains for these critical minerals are controlled by the Chinese government, despite the fact that we're going to need about 20 to 40 times 
more critical minerals by 2040 than we use today. That's not 20 to 40 percent. That's 20 to 40 times more minerals. And so that's why I think it's important for the United States to develop a secure supply chain for critical minerals, everything from the mining, the upstream mining to the to the processing capabilities. And that's why I also think it's important for us to do this in partnership with allied countries like Australia and Canada and Japan so that we can reduce our dependence on foreign adversaries like the Chinese government. What do you think of calls for the U.S. to be energy independent? Well, I, I think it's something we should strive for. We should strive for as much energy security as possible. If the global energy crisis that the world is facing has taught us anything. It's that we need more energy resources, not fewer. We need more oil and natural gas on the market. We need more minerals on the market. And so we need to have more secure supply chains with with friendly countries like Australia and Canada, as I mentioned. And we need to be focusing on all parts of the supply chain. It's not just the mining, but it's also the the, the processing capabilities that are that are so important. And then the, the end use manufacturing. All of these supply chains in some form or another are currently controlled by the Chinese government. And if we're going to have a secure, affordable, reliable, and clean energy future, we need to start building domestic and secure supply chains. What next steps do you think would be required from the U.S. government? I think there's a real bipartisan opportunity that we have right now, um, but it requires modernizing the, the federal permitting process. I mean, we have projects that want to get built. It's not for lack of capital. The United States has the best capital markets in the world. The challenge is that these projects are often too risky because we have a burdensome and litigious permitting process. And so I'd like to see lawmakers on both sides of the aisle come together and address the real needs of modernizing the permitting process for critical minerals so that we can start to build more projects here in the United States to, to mitigate our supply chain vulnerabilities and, and, and have a more secure and reliable um, uh, supplies of critical minerals and other vital energy technologies. All right, Alex Fitzsimmons, Senior Program Director at ClearPath, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. The United States is among countries accusing Iran and Russia of violating a UN resolution. That's for the use of suicide drones that Ukraine says are being used in deadly attacks. Iran denies involvement in the attacks. Here's that story. Rubble helmets and candles laid outside the Iranian embassy in Kyiv. These were protest props used by a group of Ukrainians on Monday night to demand that Iran stop selling drones to Russia. Coming after a so-called kamikaze drone hit a block of flats in Kyiv. The attack killed at least four people, including a woman who was six months pregnant. Ukraine said the attacks were carried out by Iran-made suicide drones, which fly to their target and detonate. The United States, Britain and France agreed that Iran supplying drones to Russia would violate a UN Security Council resolution that endorsed the 2015 nuclear deal between Iran and six powers. Iran's foreign minister continued to deny on Monday that it's supplying Russia with drones, while the Kremlin has not commented. 
But the U.S. has accused Iran of lying, with State Department spokesman Vedan Patel saying Russia was not only receiving drones from Iran, its operators were also being trained in Iran. Russia deepening an alliance with Iran uh, is something the whole world, uh, should, especially those in the region uh, and across the world, frankly, should be seen as a profound threat and something that um, any country should uh, pay very close attention to. Patel warned the U.S. may impose more sanctions, echoing calls by some EU foreign ministers to crack down on Iran over the issue. Copenhagen police just wrapped up an investigation into the two Nord Stream gas pipeline leaks. Their conclusion? It was powerful explosions. The Danish findings were similar to those of Swedish prosecutors. They reported that two other holes in the pipelines were also apparently caused by explosions. They announced that authorities were investigating the case as an act of gross sabotage. The damage to the pipelines linking Russia and Germany has become a flashpoint in the Ukraine crisis. World leaders have also described the damage as an act of sabotage, but it remains unclear who might be behind the detonations. Danish police could not say when the investigation will conclude. The Kremlin said today that the investigations appeared to have been set up with the intention of falsely blaming Russia. And over to France, where trade unions began a nationwide strike today. They're asking for higher salaries amid the decades-high inflation. NTD's Colin Fredrickson reports. France has already endured weeks of disruption at gas stations. Supplies have been hit as workers at refineries and depots walked out to demand higher pay. On Tuesday, unions began a nationwide strike over pay in other sectors. Public sector employers, including schools and transportation, look set to be hardest hit. National Railway Operator SNCF said traffic on regional lines was down 50 percent. Eurostar has canceled some trains between London and Paris. It all marks one of the biggest challenges to President Emmanuel Macron since his re-election in May. Unions hope workers will be energized by the government's increasingly hard line on the gas strikes. Ministers have forced some strikers to go back to work to get supplies flowing again. That's a move some see as jeopardizing the right to strike. Most unions in the sector have actually reached agreement with oil company Total Energies over a pay raise. However, the hardline CGT is holding out for a 10 percent hike. It has called on workers to continue the strikes now in their fourth week. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. The NBA season tips off tonight, roughly four months after the Warriors topped the Celtics to win their fourth title in eight years. But who will win this year's championship is a betting mystery. Golden State and Boston, along with the LA Clippers, are the consensus favorites at six to one odds, which is the longest for a favorite in recorded NBA history for any opening night. The Warriors won last year despite their aging championship core of Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green playing just 11 minutes together in the entire regular season due to injuries. But Curry, now 34, is at an age where players typically start to decline while Thompson and Green aren't far behind at 32. In international rock climbing, Iranian athlete Elnaz Rakabi, who violated her country's stringent dress code rules by competing at an event in South Korea without a headscarf, was reported missing on Monday. This morning, multiple news outlets have reported that she is flying back to Iran 
partially based on an Instagram post made on her account, though it's not clear if the post was really made by her or was coerced. NTD was unable to independently verify the information. The situation is compounded by protests in Iran after the beating and eventual death of a 22-year-old woman last month by the so-called morality police for violating the strict public dress code for women. The protests have resulted in the deaths of 144 people thus far. And tonight in the baseball playoffs, the Phillies and Padres play Game 1 of the NLCS, with Philadelphia starting Zach Wheeler on the mound opposite San Diego's Hugh Darvish. And finally, the NBA season tips off tonight with the Warriors hosting the Lakers and the Sixers playing at the Celtics. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And finally, if you have a sweet tooth, Cakeland may be just the place for you. Although it's not made with real ingredients, visitors may still enjoy the sugar rush. Cakeland is an immersive art gallery in Los Angeles built to feel like a giant, dazzling, multi-layered cake. So I've always been fascinated with artificial representations of things, you know, fake cakes. I used to collect fake food when I was a kid. It just kind of fascinates me. The lavishly decorated cakes are made entirely of artificial materials. Real sugar would cause an ant infestation. In this venue, there's about 250 gallons that I've piped, you could see. And uh, I think there's about 120 mirrors, uh, probably about 3,000 cherries. There are thousands and thousands of Swarovski crystals embedded in the walls. Amid the deliciousness and lightness of the cakes, Cakeland visitors will notice some darker elements to the exhibition as they explore the gallery space. Although Hove says he has never made a real cake in his life, the artificial cakes he has created at Cakeland seem to strike a chord with visitors. If, if you want to experience something random and surreal but accessible, th this would be the place. <laughs> it feels like you're inside cake, but in like a layered way. It's a very layered cake, that's what I would say. <laughs> it's, it's got different, different like dimensions to it. <laughs> it's awesome. There's so much uh, level of detail here. The experience is very immersive. and It's just a beautiful experience. The installation has continued to grow and expand since its founding in 2020. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.